0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher. And today we are going to talk about life, adventure, and breathwork. Today's guest has a lifetime full of experiences in all of these, and he's tapped that experience to teach and coach others. Jesse Gross, a life coach and breathwork teacher from Los Angeles, California, is with us. Jesse helps people in midlife who are looking for meaning and purpose. He holds a master's in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica, and he leads international spiritual adventure retreats to Peru and Nepal. Jesse is the author of three books, and he has a new one coming out next month called Wild Hearted, and he also runs groups and retreats for writers. I've read two of Jesse's books, Your Wild and Precious Life and My Life Coach Wears a Tutu, and I am so excited to talk to him today because this is someone who has really embraced life and knows how to say yes to adventure. I cannot wait for him to share his story with you all today. Jesse, welcome to the campfire. Thank you.
1: It's awesome to be here.
0: Man, I am so excited. I mean, we got introduced um, a couple of months ago and... Um, you know, we weren't sure whether we were going to be able to do this episode or not. But in the meantime, I I devoured your books. I've got both of them right here, and uh, man, I can't wait. That there's just some amazing stories in both of these. But man, you've lived some you've lived some adventure. Can we just just like let's start with what it is that that you do, and uh, and where you do it, and who you do it for. Great.
1: Um... Well, I'm a life coach. That's my primary uh, umbrella. That's kind of around everything I do, and I work with a lot of people in midlife, young professionals, um, who have hustled. They've gotten all the stuff. They're at that pivotal point in their life where they're really starting to look over their shoulder, and um, and dig in for more of her deep meaning, purpose. Um, most people I know have something that they've always wanted to do that they put off to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be a, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, um, so they usually come to me when they're established and looking for more. And so that's a piece of it. Um, and then we do a lot of exploration. So inside that, uh, we do exploration, we do retreats, international retreats, spiritual retreats. Uh, I lead breathwork, teach breathwork classes. Um, and then I also have some conscious writers groups uh, that I lead as well and retreats for them
0: as well. Very cool. So um, kind of this focus on midlife, um, yeah. is that pretty common? You talk kind of like, like is there, you know, people have talked about this idea of a midlife crisis. Is that is, the, is that yeah. kind of baked into some of this? Can we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as a midlife opportunity. Nice. Um,
1: and the idea is that I think if you start thinking about if you start thinking about this stuff ahead of time, it doesn't become a crisis. It's kind of like a health crisis, right? A health crisis is usually, most of the time, the result of um, ignoring signs along the way, right? Until it peaks. And I feel the same way with midlife. Um, I started thinking about my potential midlife crisis when I was 18. (laughs) (laughs) I was like already thinking like I was pretty mad. I was working extremely hard. I just saw everybody around me like really stressed. And I thought to myself like, oh, I'm going to have one of those for sure. And so I started preparing ahead of time, uh, already dreaming about midlife changes and um, thinking ahead, how am I going to feel in 10 years, 20 years, which I don't think a lot of people do when they're 15, 16, 17, 18. Um, So yeah, I don't get many folks in a crisis, to be honest. I get a lot of folks who have spent, uh, they've spent time really leaning into what else is there. And I think the culture supports that. Um, Crisis definitely was like an 80s, 90s thing because there wasn't a lot of culture supporting uh, midlife change. But now we live in this great culture where you could have a new career every 10 years. And and it's it's actually relatively common now. So um, that's exciting. It's exciting for me.
0: Yeah. Well, so you said that um, it doesn't have to be a, a crisis if you think ahead. And then you mentioned that there are some signs like, what does that look like? Like, you know, for, for people that are listening, like what, what are some of those signs? Hmm. Uh,
1: I'd say the sign, one of the signs is if you've chosen something that you don't absolutely love um, maybe it was a good choice. Maybe you're good at it. Maybe you're successful at it. Um, And it requires a certain percentage of rationalization to stay with it for another 10, 15, 20 years. And that's what I notice, right? I might have a client who's like, say, a software exec or something. And he'll say to me, hey, you know what I really want to do? And I kind of look over his shoulder and then tell me, <laughs> I've always wanted to, you know, start a ecotourism company. Great. I know what that feels like. Um, and then they'll stop and go, yeah, but, you know, I really like the money. And, it, all right, and so there's like a lot of yeah, buts. Mm. I find that when you're really, really doing something that is in alignment with who you are, Uh, with your heart, with your soul, with your greatest uh, level of personal connection, there's no yeah, buts, there's no um, justification required, right? It's like when people talk about it, when I talk about it, there's no justification that I need to explain what I do for a living. But before this, I was in the insurance business and I made really good money. And so I knew it wasn't my heart. I knew it wasn't my soul. Yet I just kept coming back year after year because the money was really good. And so I, I had to hold this kind of um, um, it was almost like a box of excuses or reasons, justifications for myself. And then at some point, I just I realized I was like, oh, I, that, that box is getting really heavy. And so I'm going to set it down. And so I walked away from my career and there were lots of people that were happy to take my spot.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. And, uh, and, those, and those folks probably get to that same point that you got to at some point yeah. down the line. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think it's
1: it's unreasonable to assume that you could pick something when you're 18, 19, 20 and stick with it till you're 65, 70, 75, right? There are people that find that thing um, but I feel like there are less people I've met that know, find it, do it um all the way through than people who bounce around or they're not totally sure. Or like in my case, I told my mom, I said, uh, remember, she was like, you should be a doctor, or be a lawyer, like kind of basics, you know, loving mom advice. And I said, you know, I really don't want to do one thing. I said, I want to have like five jobs at one time. And she said to me, you know, uh, now that would be just like a, a basket full of side hustles. Right. And so uh, she said, well, then that's what you're going to do. And so that's what I'm doing now is like even coaching, if I coached, 40 hours a week, or I led retreats all year long only, or only breath work or only writer's groups, I would get extremely bored. And so it was nice to have somebody really early say, even before it was cool, like, hey, yeah, you can just have a bunch of side hustles. And so that's really how I feel now, is I feel like it's like 20% coaching, 20% breath work, 20% retreats. Uh, In this case, now, um, I'd say 40 to 50% writer's groups, I don't know if I'm adding up to 100,
0: but <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I love. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard this before, but you just said um, a basket full of side hustles. Yeah, I love, that. I love that phrase. So, do you give your clients permission to have a basket full of side hustles? Yeah, I mean, if that's what's in alignment for them,
1: right? If that's what's in alignment for some people, yeah. that's that's a nightmare, right? For some people, it's like I just want to find the next thing that I can put all my energy into and kind of hyper-focus on, right? For someone like me, uh, and there are a lot of people like me, um, creative, kind of renaissance person, right? Renaissance man, renaissance woman. Like I like to have lots of plates spinning at the same time for me. And so for the people that's a good fit, I, I tell them my story, they know it. And then I start asking questions like, what is it you really love? And a lot of times you don't need to quit your career. A lot of times it's like, could you find a way to consult maybe or work half time, or some other way that you create some space? And then in that gap, that's when you breathe life into those side hustles, right? Because you need space and energy to, to create those. And so I have never been attached, even when I went to grad school, got my degree, started my coaching company. I've never been attached to any of the stuff I do because I want to give myself an opportunity to evolve as it happens. Mm, yeah.
0: So I, I would love to just kind of go back in time a little bit and and sort of unwind how how this all came to be. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how you got into this work and kind of the the journey in the early years?
1: Yeah. How uh, how far back do you want to go? <laughs>
0: <laughs> First of all, like for those that aren't watching, that they're just listening, I'm sitting here looking at. Uh, Jesse. And behind him, he's got baby Yoda on the wall and he's got his Legos. And, you know, this is, this is a child of my own heart because these are things that I, <laughs> that I love and enjoy as well. So this is somebody that loves to play. So take me back just, you know, briefly, like how did you develop this sort of, you're an adventurer. Like how did you develop yeah. this adventure spirit as a kid? Mm, that's
1: a great question. Uh, I think it was just baked in. I think it was born that way. I've just always been adventurous, and my parents were super free. My mom was a total hippie uh, when I was younger, and it was, you know, it was the 70s and 80s. We were allowed to just roam. No cell phones, nothing. We'd leave in the morning and come back at dark, and sometimes we'd ride our bikes 10 miles away from our house. Nobody knew where we were, so I think um, some of it is a product of the culture I grew up in.
0: Yeah. Where where did you grow
1: up? Uh, I grew up in Redwood Shores, Redwood City, Bay Area. Okay. Um, Before it blew up into tech land. Okay. and um my dad worked at a wild animal park there and then um so then we moved when i was 10 and we moved out to the country and i and went from suburbia to the last house at the end of the road at the top of the hill so i went from being surrounded by piles of kids to just myself and my brothers running around the forest and then begging my mom to drive us all the way down the mountain to like to interact with other children mm. <laughs> so i think uh behind our house we had thousands of acres of land that was owned by the city and so we would just hop the fence and just go wander and and build forts and play paintball and so i think the biggest thing is we were given a lot of space to roam you know very different than kids are raised these days um, unless you live in a rural area right so we we just we just had a lot of freedom so i never i never experienced not freedom i would say yeah. except for in college i remember i was pre-med in college um and i just remember feeling really suffocated and re- and feeling really old and feeling like the next 10 15 20 years of my life was already predetermined um and i actually had like a real aha moment where i was watching um dead poet society okay and there's, there's a kid there who wants to be an actor and his dad says you're gonna go to you're gonna yeah. be a doctor and uh and he ends his life and it's super it's a really tragic moment yeah. And I saw that, and I just started crying uncontrollably. And I walked out of the room. I was super embarrassed, hanging out with a bunch of guys, went to the laundry room, turned the laundry turned the dryer on to, like, block it out. And I couldn't stop crying for, like, 20 minutes straight. And when I came through that, I realized, like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing this. I just called my mom, like, two hours later. I was like, hey, I'm not going to medical school. <laughs> she was like, I mean, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to travel the world. And she said, that's not a job. And I said, well, it might be.
0: Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals. Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. I love that story, though. I mean, you know, most people have these kinds of moments. And for your for you, it sounds like, like watching that movie was a moment for you. I mean, it's uh, like you it was, never, you never know how it's going it to happen. All.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think as a movie maker, that would be a the kind of story you'd want to hear, you know, or any kind of a media maker where somebody completely changed the direction of your life because of a story that you told, whether it's real or imagined.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, you just created a visual for me. Like you're sitting there watching, sounds like you were in a group of people watching that movie. Yeah. We were just hanging out.
1: I was hanging out with my friend who's visiting from Australia. And uh, I just remember it hit and it just, Ooh, it was, un- I couldn't control it. Yeah. So what happens from there? Yeah. So um not going to medical school and then um, I didn't really have a plan. All I knew is that I wanted to travel the world. And then um, September 11th happens. And then that really rattles me because I realized I go from this kind of young man who thinks that I'm uh, invincible. I'd never broken any bones. Like I didn't have a real sense of, um, my own, uh, lifespan. It just felt like it's going to go forever. Everything's great. September 11th, uh, shook me a lot. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. in that moment I decided, I said, well, I need to go travel the world now because who knows what's going to happen next. And so I worked for a year, worked as much as I could, saved every penny I could rented my car, uh, subleased my apartment. I mean, I just like, Everything I could do, cashed out, sold all my, all my possessions, pretty much all of them. And um, a year from September 11th, maybe by a couple days, I got a one-way flight to China. And that year, the whole world was on fire sale. It was like no one was traveling. If you, I don't know if you remember, but yep. um, the State Department had a whole list of places you're not supposed to travel to. And so I flew to China and just started my trip and went for a year. And it was, it was, it was amazing. And every place we went was empty. Uh, Nepal, India, places that are usually really full of tourists. Um, I remember staying at a five-star hotel for fifty dollars a night. Things like that. So it was um, it was magic. It
0: was a really magical experience. So uh, I think what I want to touch on here, real quick, is you talk about September eleventh, like one thing that I think is cool, you've had a couple of moments. Dead poet society, now nine one nine one one, and and you know these yeah. moments that are sort of triggering things for you, but but a lot of people would have felt a lot of fear and trepidation about getting on a plane and traveling around the world at that time. How yeah. did fear factor in for you? Um, I wasn't afraid
1: because I was reading different media sources and calling people and that I knew in other countries and things. How is it there? It's fine. Okay. And so I don't remember who I was listening to, but I was listening to some like non-traditional media source. And they were saying how there's just like big kind of propaganda scare thing going on. And they said, actually, uh, you could go to a lot of places and people are just fine. And so I had a gut feeling about that. I had a gut feeling that there was an over-exaggeration um, going on. And so, and I, and I also told my mom like, hey, if it's scary, I'll leave, I'll go home. You know, I'm not stupid. Uh, I also didn't have an American flag, like, stitched on the back of my backpack or anything, Mm -hmm. right? And so uh, I actually put a Canadian flag on, which back then people would do a little bit, just because for some reason it was like, if you're from Canada, everyone's like, yeah, you're fine. But if you're from (laughs) the U.S., like, we have things to say to you, right? And so I had that on for a little, and then I cut it off. So I was like, well, that's lame. But um, I remember I had a driver, a Muslim driver, who drove me all around um, uh, India. And I was talking to him about it. And then he's like, "Where are you from?" And I said, "Where do you think I'm from?" And he goes, "I know where you're from." And he's like, "You're from <laughs> America." And I was like, "Okay," because I know your accent. I was like, "Okay." And I said, "Well, what do you think about all this, you know, stuff going on?" And yeah, he said, "He said that's politics." He said, "I have a family. I need to feed my kids. Tourism is low, and it's hurting me." Yeah. And he goes, "You're taking care of my family today." He goes, "Most people don't care. Most people, their immediate." concern is their friends their family their job their community their schools that's really and then all the rest is like this big kind of international um show of politics power whatever and that really really stuck with me because i there was a lot of stuff going on in the u.s at the time right really strong sentiments and i just had a bunch of run-ins with different people from different faiths uh that i thought I was hesitant to tell them where I was from and every single one of them, it was like, they're like, psh, why would I care? Like you're you're by, you know, you're eating at my restaurant. And so that was really surprising to me, the, the difference between the media story and then my actual boots on the ground. Yeah. So we went, I, mean, I went all through India. I went to the border of Pakistan. I mean, uh, Nepal, like all these places that had really large Muslim populations. And I had not one, the only challenging experience I had was a French guy chewed me out while I was trekking
0: (laughs) for for being
1: an American. That was it. That was literally the worst experience I had.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love how you frame it. It's so true. It's like people don't care. It's like, you know, the humanity is just like you're connecting with another individual person. And like you said, this person has a family, you know, you've got your needs. It's like whatever's going on in the media, but at the end of the day, like people are people.
1: Yeah. Even, you know, it's like right now it's online, right? Online people can be atrocious to each other and, draw these really strong lines in the sand, and get really like raw. And then I know I could meet that same person in line somewhere and we'd be nice to each other. Yeah. So there's something really important about being in the physical space of other people, especially the people that you might think you don't like, don't get along with, or have some story made up that yes. you made up about them. Yes. And that trip was that for me in spades over and over and over again. It dissolved little stories or big stories that I have been fed.
0: I want to, I want to kind of pivot like, you you know, you, you, you're doing this world traveling, like how do you go from traveling around the world the way that you did to now all of a sudden the deciding that you're going to lead other people on these trips. And and can you tell us about the trips that you do Mm -hmm. other people?
1: Yeah. So when I, on that trip around the world, when I went to Nepal, that was one of my first stops. And I thought it was one of the most amazing places on the planet. I just fell in love with it. And on that trek in Nepal, I said to myself, I'm going to take people here. I, I just knew it. I mean, and I had, done, I had done some guiding in college. I had guided trips down to Baja, week-long kayak trips. Yeah. Um, I guided backpack trips for, um, for kids in summer camp. So I already enjoyed guiding. And uh, Nepal was the, the one where I made the decision that I'm going to take people. And so when I came back from that trip, I just set the goal and the name, the company Insight Adventures came into my mind and it took me years. You know, it took me a good couple of years to go from this is something I want to do to actually leading my first international trip. And um, gosh, the first trip I want to say was 14 years ago. And the first big trip was to Nepal. And when I was in graduate school uh, for spiritual psychology, getting my master's, I submitted a proposal for my final project. I had to write a huge paper like everyone does, but also it was a very practical schools, university of Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they wanted practicality, you know, they, they, uh, they promoted it. And so I said, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to get a website. I'm going to promote myself and I'm going to lead my first retreat. And so I submitted the whole thing because I had a feeling that I needed some structure. Like I didn't really know about, I didn't know any coaches yet or I didn't know anything about that structure. I just knew school really well, right? So I thought I'll use the school, get your homework done on Thursday, et cetera, structure to help me launch a business because I didn't know anybody who had their own business. And so it worked because I've been so well-programmed that even when I got really scared and I was nervous and all the things that come up around starting a business, right? It was like, didn't matter because I had to homework on each day and homework is websites done this day. So that structure, that structure really launched me uh, into my first retreat. And uh, I advertised online and told everybody I knew and uh, filled the trip and was terrified every step of the way that somehow I was going to do it wrong. And um, we had a great trip.
0: I love that you use the structure so that you literally use the structure of the school and the curriculum and the project to to actually turn it into a reality it wasn't just a, a school project that you shelved when it was done like this thing happened yeah yeah
1: that was something about the program that was very attractive to me because I had, mm-hmm. I had already I'd already had the undergrad experience of getting a degree and then in psychology and then not feeling like there were a lot of options with it and everyone said oh yeah that's you have to go get a higher degree for that and then that was really annoying to me considering I knew friends that were engineers or, you know, ag majors or something They yeah. could get out of school and go right into a career. Yeah. And so that was, I wasn't going to go to grad school unless there was some really super practical way to utilize it.
0: Yeah. Oh man. I love that. Cause I, I do just love the, I'm a very pragmatic person. So I, yeah. you know, I can see like, and it also speaks to the, you know, the idea that we all need help. So going to get yeah. help, to be able to take you through that process. Um, why Nepal? Oh, I get so many reasons.
1: I love mountains. I love the mountain vibe and Nepal has this beautiful combination of, um, Alpine, you know, the highest mountains in the world, Mm. right? Everest trails that are for days, beautiful culture, very spiritual culture. And so that was really uh, attractive to me. And um, I just found the people to be lovely. They were so kind and so gentle and so sturdy and friendly and fun. And we would hire Sherpas to take us and carry our gear. And some of these young guys are carrying, I don't know, 150 pounds, whatever, Mm -hmm. really heavy loads, maybe less than that. But, um, and I just remember them laughing and whistling and smiling and the whole time. So I just felt like we had a lot to learn. I felt like going there every time I came back a better person, uh, a kinder person, a more gentle person, uh, a much more grounded person. And so I liked how the culture influenced me personally, mm-hmm. and I wanted the culture to influence the people that I took there. And it has, because we have a, um, a volunteer project that we do. We help uh, young girls go to school in the mountains. And I have people that have gone years ago that started donating to the foundation and raising money. And so it's just, it's just continued and blossomed and grown. And that felt great too, because every year we'd come back and you could see the girls growing older and going to get their education. And these are, these are young women um, who normally would have zero opportunity. So they would probably start having children really young and they'd be really poor and that would be their life. And uh, there was a study by, um, forgot who did it it was like a, a world health organization or something mm-hmm. and they said that the very best money that you can give in developing countries is to young women because they're most likely to use it for their community versus young mm-hmm. men will do different things with it and so um I thought all right so let's support the, the young women in the community and that was another thing too that was really thrilling to me to yeah. see tangibly and year after year come back and see this community grow right in front of our eyes and so it was it was all of those it was all of those things together that makes Nepal so alluring to
0: me, yeah, it's so interesting and i and I think one thing like you know you turned this into i mean, I see somebody that went on a trip to visit a place, and there's like for me, I want like see if you can help me bridge this gap between that person that just went on a trip to like yeah. this, this mission of bringing people to Nepal and serving the community there like Help me like understand how do you bridge that gap there. How does that happen? One of the things I noticed when I did my year around the world
1: is a couple months in, I started getting irritable. I started feeling listless. I started feeling purposeless. And I, a lot of young adventurers I met, we'd be sitting around the fire somewhere exotic. Um, this is before Instagram and all that, feeling like we should feel different. We should feel so free and we're doing anything we want. And, and a lot of people felt the same way I felt. And so it occurred to me just being a tourist, being a visitor uh, was not it. And I'm not knocking on it. Tourism's great and it's beautiful and it's fine. We go places for a week or two, but um, I was clear. I wanted to do more. And so I thought what's most important to me, culture, presence, Um, giving back service. So all of my retreats have a service component. All of my retreats have cultural immersion. We do homestays, things like that. Um, We try to learn some of the language while we're there. We use local people as much as possible uh, that aren't identified with any larger corporation. Um, We try to do off trails that are not busy. And all the while, we're also doing inner journey. So that's all inner journey, outer journey. And so what I found was in the simplest way, just prompting a campfire conversation or a dinner conversation with a meaningful topic rather than just chitter chatter completely shifts the energy of the group
0: yeah
1: and and you it's so easy to seed a conversation and have it go in a productive heart opening mind opening direction and so that was a discovery because i remember guiding my trips younger uh, earlier trips in college And we would sit around the fire and people would just talk about the news or or pop culture. And I would feel disappointed. We're all the way down in this exotic place. Let's talk about history or the culture or whatever. And then you add things uh, like maybe a medicine journey you might do in some countries with some medicine man or uh, breath work, right? Which there's lots of great practices you can do that really drop you in out of your mind, into your heart, into your body. And then, and then from that place, um, I find the culture seeps in. Because the biggest thing in the way I think for us as Westerners going somewhere uh, developing or exotic is that even though our, we're physically there, our mind is still from home, comes with us. And so a lot of the practices we do are to kind of dissolve that uh, home, hurry, Western, get it done mindset. To try to move into the mindset of the people that live there which is always slower
0: more thoughtful uh, more conscious and more present that's amazing so the the two places that you've really focused on but which by the way are both on my list of places that I'm dying to go to right yeah. Nepal um, uh, everest base camp and um, and then South America Peru yeah so yeah um, what are the similarities like is, between those two Look, why why peru and and how does that kind of connect with the nepal trip or how did it come about mm. so peru is the in
1: my opinion it's, it's a it's like the southern hemisphere sister or brother mm-hmm. to nepal i don't know if you remember i think it was like 1999 or 2000 there was some prophecy it was going around for a while where on the turn of the, you know, the turn of the year, something was supposed to happen. And, Mm -hmm. and it was all in the spiritual community all the conversation was around Peru and Nepal. And they were saying that Peru was, or Nepal was the center of spirituality. And then it was going to shift the poles were going to shift to Peru. Something I'm obviously not well-versed in it. Um, I always thought that was interesting. An interesting story about it. On a personal level, it's just beautiful, spiritual, high mountain cultures um, and they have a lot of similarities kind, humble, robust, both really strong cultures uh, and uh, spiritual cultures. so in Nepal in the high altitude you have a lot of Buddhism, right and in um, in Peru, you have this beautiful, amazing Andean um, I don't want to call it religion, but cosmology yeah right and and it's steeped and it's deep and it's rooted and it's 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 part of everything it's part of the life in nepal it's part of the life in in peru where it's not something you do on the side hey i'll go to church on sunday it's it's all part of the culture and it's around you and so and they're very different energetically yeah but they're both spectacular and they both offer the opportunity for inner journey outer journey inner adventure outer adventure um
0: they both, it's, they're just, it's my two favorite places on the planet. Will those continue to be the two places that you focus on? Or are there other areas that offer a similar sort of experience that you're, that you're thinking about or have? Mm-hmm. Good question. Uh, I used to lead trips to Guatemala, so I
1: could potentially go back to leading trips there. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. It's shorter. It's closer. And I've kind of been leaning into Costa Rica a little bit possibly Patagonia. There's some other places I've had on my list for a long time. We'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: I like the ideas. Patagonia is another one I'm dying to get to. So I got, I got a big list. I just keep watching you and see what you're doing. And I'll come along one of these days. Um, I loved how you talked about like, you know, being on these trips and you specifically said sitting around a campfire, like seeding a conversation. And then we talked about sort of the inner work. Um, And maybe that leads us into Breathwork, which you mentioned being kind of part of the experience. Um, I just wonder if we could just spend a few minutes just talking about what breathwork, for those that might not be like completely familiar, what breathwork is and how you practice it, especially on the retreats. Great. So,
1: breathwork found me. I did not choose it. I never imagined I would be a meditation teacher or in it working in a yoga studio or anything like that, to be honest. was not on my radar uh i was supposed to lead a trip to guatemala and then uh last minute i wasn't able to do it and so i was co-leading it and 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 my co-leader said well come meet the person who's going to take your spot and so i went to his house and he led a breathwork session and 15 20 minutes in i was completely out of my body floating around the room in this beautiful space of peace and all these ideas were coming to me and uh when i came out of the trance we'll call it um I said, I need to learn this. So I called his teacher and he said, well, I have a class once a year and it's next weekend. Do you have a spot? Yes, I have two. Okay. My wife and I will each take one. And uh, I took the course. And um, immediately after I went to Peru, because I was going to Peru to check out a possible leading there. I hadn't led a trip there. And so I'll usually go by myself, Mm -hmm. do a couple routes, meet everybody, make the contacts. And then the year after I'll lead a trip there. And so I led my first breath work at the hotel. I just put a handwritten sign up, $5, whatever. And 20 something people showed up, including this guru lady who was leading a retreat. They all had this really powerful experience. And she looked at me and she's like, let me get your information. And I was so shocked because I thought, well, you're like the guru. I'm just, I'm just like this faker. Like that's what I felt. I felt like I was this fraud because I'd just yeah. come out of the program. It was my first class and people really responded to it. And I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe I can do this. And it's pranayama is okay. the kind of breath work I teach. And by the way, there's lots of them under the name breathwork. I mean, Wim Hof has a breath work. There's hundreds of styles of breath that have different roots, different purposes. The breath work I teach has been around for thousands of years. It comes from India. It's pranayama yoga, and it's all through the mouth. And um, I've been teaching it now for almost a decade. And I find it, for me personally, it's the most powerful tool that I came across to get me out of a triggered, activated state and into peaceful, loving, kind. I found passive meditation, which is sitting, breathing, focusing on your breath, maybe doing a mantra. I found that really hard when I really need it. If I'm really angry or really scared, it's like, I'll just sit there and my brain will spin. But if I'm lying down and I'm listening to some music, a guided meditation, and I'm breathing. The breath slightly alters your body chemistry, takes your prefrontal cortex offline, which is like your inner Woody Allen. Chat, mm. chat, chat. Yep. And, and it allows um, it allows you to really slide into a relaxed state. And so, it was just it just worked. You know, the really practical side of me just went, "Does it work? Do I need to have any spiritual beliefs or anything to yeah. make this work? No, it's a tool." And so I've been teaching the tool, teaching other people how to teach the tool, because um, because it's effective.
0: Yeah, and so you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wonder if we could just um, go over this again. Like you 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 mentioned meditation. Like, how is breath work different from meditation,
1: or is it? it? It is a form of meditation. So there's active meditation and there's passive meditation. So passive meditation is what most of us think of, which is maybe sitting cross-legged on a mat um etc. Active meditation would be something like breath work, a breathing exercise where you're physically doing something, um, taking a walk through the forest barefoot, um, listening to the birds, actively focusing on your breath. That would be an active meditation. For a lot of people, some of their hobbies are actually meditative, drawing, coloring, coloring books. Um, I build a lot of Lego as an adult. Nice. And for me, that's that's an active meditation because my waking mind completely shuts off and hours and hours go by and I don't
0: even realize what's happening. It's awesome. So, so what, what are some of the uses or almost sort of transformations that you've witnessed people experience in practicing pranayama yoga? Mm. Gosh, that'd be a whole separate show. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us a glimpse yeah, yeah, maybe I guess I will. Will episode
1: on that? Yeah, I have, uh, I'll have. just give an anecdote. Uh, I have an artist friend who did one of my trainings ooh, maybe five or six years ago. And she had done some therapy and done lots of different practices to work on um, one of her, like a core issue that she'd been dealing with in her life. And uh, she, by the end of the night of the breathing, uh, I'll do like a 45 minute breath with a long shavasana. By the end of the night of that journey, because that's really what it is, she had tears in her eyes and she came up to me and she said, you know, uh, I've been working on something for a long time and I've been getting close, but I was never able to quite kind of pierce the judgment about myself and move into truly loving who I am. And she, goes, and she said to me, she said, it happened tonight. She said, I crossed that threshold. And so that was a really beautiful moment for me. Uh, I've had lots of students, um, people I know that have done it that will uh, it works in your subconscious. Right? It gets to places that even talk therapy won't get you. And um, lots of people that have come to me and said, "You know, I just had an awareness about something that I've been sitting with for years. Uh, and I think I think I figured something out, right. Um, on an energetic level, people will just come in they've had a really bad week and their head's spinning and their body feels horrible. And for whatever reason, uh, and they, it helps move energy. So you can really move a lot of energy out of your body. Um, and they'll, by the end of the class, they're crystal clear and they're smiling and, and they're laughing. And so to me, as I would call myself an empath, right. And there's a lot of people like me that absorb energy into our bodies, whether it's from media or someone honks at you on the street or you have a fight with your spouse, it lands in your body, you feel the uncomfort. Maybe your, ne- your neck is tight, your jaws mm-hmm. tight. You, f- you feel like you're carrying around the upset. We've all had that experience. And this will remove it from your body. I used to call it a spiritual rotor rooter because it, <laughs> it just cleans it out. Um, even on a level a little more woo-woo uh, on psychic energy, right? It's like if you've ever had something that felt like somehow an energy got into you or some really negative person got into your space and you can't kick them out of your mind or out of your heart, uh, I found
0: this is beautiful, beautiful for that. It's very cleansing on that level. And to be clear, like the, the, the people that are practicing this, they're not, they're not really trying to do anything to like take part of this transformation. It just happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I almost find if you come in with too strong of an intention, it interferes. And so what I tell people is it's a journey. Just imagine there's a river flowing and there's a bunch of people white knuckling it, hanging on the side of the river, holding onto the rocks, fighting uh, inevitability. And then there's people you see just jumping, jump in. They just float down the river and your only job is to tread water. Don't worry, you're going to get where you want to go. And so I tell people your only job is to breathe and surrender and just trust the process, trust your intuition. The process itself will take care of anything that needs to happen. And what happens is always a mystery. So you may think, oh, I really wanna get some insight around X, and then the process is like, no, that's not what you need. Actually, we're gonna let out some tears about your mom who passed 10 years ago because you're holding it in your heart and you don't know it, right? So it's it's mysterious, which also, which also um, keeps my attention because you don't know. You just never know what you're going to get. And uh, I find that beautiful. I find that really stimulating and keeps me. It's the only practice like this I've done for more than a year or six months. Before that, I was always changing, getting bored. Yeah. And This one uh, grabbed a hold of me, and I'm still doing it. Sticking.
0: Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so with, with that thought on sort of a, a common central theme, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, there's a lot that you do. Um, you you even called it a basket of side hustles, right? But like you coach, you, you practice breathwork, you teach breathwork, you take people on retreats. You're also an author and you lead these writing circles. we're going to, I want to talk about the books as well, Mm -hmm. but I feel, uh, maybe you can help me put this into words, but there seems to be some sort of common thread that sort of connects all these things for you. Yeah. Uh, the thread, the two main threads
1: are adventure, uh, and love. And the second one might seem trite to some people, but I really do believe that living a heart-centered life um, is, at least for me, it's the key to joy. And so combining anything that brings people into their heart, out of our minds, into our heart, because we live in a culture that is, uh, it's dominantly cerebral, right? And so to, to move us out of our heads, into our heart, into our bodies. And if I can do that, by going on adventures, rather than say like some really hard practice that requires a lot of discipline, et cetera, et cetera, um, that doesn't appeal to me. So I think if we can go on inner adventures and outer adventures, right, explore new places internally and externally, that hits all the spots for me. It hits the curiosity. It hits the part of me that wants to try something new, to try something that's scary, um, and funny enough trekking in nepal at 14 16000 feet in the snow is less scary for a lot of people mm. um, than doing a 45 minute say private breathwork session or something where you know you're going to really go deep into your emotions and your feelings most people are more afraid of the inner journey than they are yes. of the outer journey yeah uh, which is why i like them to put them i like to put them together that way Uh, In Peru, on the second day, we take everybody on this massive zip line that's five lengths. It's one of the biggest ones in the world, uh, or at least it used to be. And half the people are thrilled. Half the people are terrified. But by the end, everyone has just done something exciting and thrilling that pressed them on some level on the outer journey. And so then the very next day, we can start doing some of the inner work. And it seems way less intimidating because we've just done something... um, something wild. And so I personally love matching them together because what I found was there were like eco adventure tours you could go on, but there was no real inner work happening. Yeah. Or you could go on a spiritual retreat and it was way too much sitting around cross-legged. And so it's like, I didn't want to go on either. And so that's what I created. I really created, I tell my clients, like, create the things you want for yourself. Don't think of anybody else is going to want it. So I always just write the books create the retreats that I want to go on. And I thought, well, if I was going to pay to go on a retreat, what would I want to do? I want to do all of it. I want to sit with the shamans. I want to dance in the stars. I want to do breath. I want to hike hard trails. I want a zip line. I want I want cultural immersion. I just designed what I want, which is all of which is a potpourri of all of those things. And so to me they go,
0: they go hand in hand. Yeah. And, and I love, I mean, I really, I'm a huge fan of this whole idea of like the physical adventures kind of melding into the inner journey. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is this voice inside that calls us to adventure. And it seems that, that that's what you're doing. Is you're bringing people on these adventures to really tap into that voice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think adventure may be the strongest um, pull in all of this. You say what was the one thing? Yeah. Uh, because it's all an adventure to me, and um, coaching is an, like a huge adventure to go spend all that one-on-one time with somebody and see where they go. Breathwork, because you never know where you're gonna go. Which I love. <laughs> um, yeah, every step of the w- every step of the way is interesting, um, and I have a rule. My writers groups are the same way. Um, we, we meet for two and a half hours once a week, either live or zoom or both. And, um, we meditate, we do breath work and then I drop a prompt and then I say, right, go. And then for 40 minutes, people write and they just let whatever comes out. And almost always, well, not always say half the time people will say, I have no idea what I just wrote and that everyone gets to share that writing, which is scary, right? At least in the beginning it is. And that everyone listens and then we give positive, nurturing, supportive feedback that's an adventure and so all of these things are for me are about pulling parts out of people that they didn't know were there right and I think any great adventure whether it's inner or outer will do that right and you've had that experience too like a beautiful hike some to the top of a mountain all of a sudden inspiration just strikes you or maybe some really challenging physical exercise um, that pushes you out of your kind of normal mind space and something interesting or a thought or a feeling or something new moves into that space um, through the physical, through the physicality of it. And, and I do think we have like a real physical deficit in our mm-hmm. country right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one would argue with that, but we also have a spiritual deficit. And so I'm a fan of, I don't think there's any right path to get to where you wanna go. I think you could get there being an ultra marathon runner, being a Buddhist, Right. There's so many different ways to get us out of our kind of day-to-day operating program and move us into a altered, calmer, more beautiful, more open, more receptive space. Where I find that's where all the real data drops in. Right. It's it's almost like you're taking your satellite and dish and pointing it in a completely different direction. And suddenly ideas, inspiration, healing, forgiveness all these things we've been seeking, they're flying around us all day long waiting to land, right? Change the direction of the dish, all of a sudden, whoa, look at all these new channels I'm watching. Oh my God, I'm getting HBO, this is so lovely, right? And so I feel from my own experience, I just struggled forever trying to be different, feel different, think different. And I wasn't changing my physical, mental uh, state enough to allow the inspiration to come in.
0: Yeah. Well, I think some of it to, to sort of bring this together, I think some of it is that you, first of all, you're in a very beautiful way, like showing people the way through your own experience. Like you have not been afraid to go first. You've gone and done these adventures (laughs) and you've brought people with you. So what I, you know, my introduction to you was through your two books um, that I read and, um, I mean, both of them, they're, they're packed full of really practical knowledge, like one in helping people that, that are coaches or want to be coaches. And the other is really just more about creating this, um, consciously creating this version of yourself that you most want to create. But you do it through the, your stories and through the experiences, and you've got you've got some epic stories. And I don't know, we're gonna have enough time to get into them today. But uh, I highly recommend, especially your Wild and Precious Life. I mean, it's 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 packed full of some really incredible stories. And mm. you've got another one coming out. And I loved your answer to this common thread that's been you know, throughout your life, because now I look at the title of this new book coming out wild hearted. You talked about adventure and you talked about love and you just brought that together in those two words, wild hearted. So tell us about your new book that's coming out wild hearted. I love that you made that connection. I did not make it on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're the real deal. I mean, it's, you know, it just shows that that you mean what you say. Yeah. Thank you. That's really
1: great. I'm I'm carrying that in me right now. that's beautiful. Thank you for, uh, for your observation. Yeah, so this book um, this book is different than the other books in that um, it's a collection of stories, mine uh, as well as from people in my conscious writers groups. Yeah. And we've written collectively close to 1,400 stories. And um, it was it was crowdsourced, I would say, right, by the groups. <laughs> Yep. We'd have a day where someone would read a story out loud and everybody in the group would go, Oh, oh, that, that one, that one, that one, send it to me, send it to me. Will you send it to me? Please, please, please. And this was anytime that happened, I'd go, uh-huh. And I just start putting them in a bucket, just put them in a file, put them in a file. And I've been collecting them for three and a half years now. And so this is a hundred of the best of by the time it's ready, it will have been a pool of 1500 stories and from all different folks, from all different walks of life, and what we have in common is we are all adventurers of life, adventurers awesome. of the heart. And it's, uh, it's just full of beautiful, vulnerable, um, stimulating personal stories and narratives and poetry um, of people that are all living on the edge of their own creativity, of their own courage. And all of these people um, have been on retreats with me or I've coached them. They're all part of the larger community of people that are constantly seeking to take risks, um, to leave jobs, right? Like a lot of people in my groups, my dad would always say, don't hire my son because, uh, you'll quit your job immediately unless you want to <laughs> <laughs> He'd say, watch out. Don't say, don't send your kids to my son. They'll change their career. Um, but it's like, everybody's participating. There's not a single member uh, of the book or writer in the book or person who's in one of my groups that isn't actively leading a life that is in integrity with what you're talking about. And to your point earlier, it's the only way to coach. I think it's the only way I could honestly be a coach. And so I never, I never wanted to like try to be a guru or someone who knows better than others. And, I don't think it's true. And I think there's a lot of potential pitfalls in that approach saying I'm the one who knows. I always found that the best transformation just came through doing it, living it, being it, and then sharing through story. Because I think story brings us all together, right? Sitting around the campfire, like a good story can change your life. Someone telling you five ways to do it in a a, a format and some formula that they've found, that doesn't ring true to me.
0: Mm. well jesse speaking of stories i mean you have lived an incredible life and at some point hollywood is going to pick up on your story and they're going to want to make they're (laughs) going to want to make a movie about you and i want to know when they do who's going to be the hollywood actor that's going to play you in this movie oh yeah that's such a fun question um
1: i've never thought of that uh i think if if Someone found my story interesting enough. Um, I would hope that the title of the movie would be um, wild-hearted
0: nice. and I
1: would and I think the person that always comes to mind uh, funny is Matt Damon okay uh, yeah, yeah i it. I experience him as someone who's doing the Hollywood thing, but ultimately strikes me as very grounded and doesn't seem too wrapped up in all of it and so and I felt that way about him since the beginning. So yeah, I would be so excited if, you know, some, I don't know, someday down the road, someone would make a little indie film about my life and, you know, and he was doing it. Um, I would probably be smiling the whole movie.
0: That's great. Wild hearted (laughs) starring Matt Damon. It's going to be great. I'm going to go see that. And I can't wait to get a copy of the book when it comes out next month. That's going to be awesome. You know, we started this out talking about, um, you you help people in midlife. We talked about some of the signs of what we called you called it the midlife opportunity. But if, yeah. if there's people listening that are feeling that, what advice would you have for them to sort of uh, follow? Sort of the next, what's the next step to, yeah. for somebody that might be feeling that? The most important thing
1: I think is the people you surround yourself with. So find a way to be around others who are living a life like that because I have found the influence of just being in proximity, just being in conversation, just being around people starts to automatically alter your perception of life. Um, read books about people that you find really inspiring. Um, if you see them on social media, comment, write them things, uh, look for anybody you admire who's leading a retreat or a workshop. Um, you just want to immerse yourself in the physical presence and the thoughts of others who are already doing it. And it can be intimidating because it can feel like, oh, that yeah. person has, has it going and already doing it. And I'm, I'm way here and they're way over there. Um, but if you find the right person pretty quickly, you'll find out that they're not that different than you. They've just been making a series of choices for 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And uh, it's never too late. That's the other thing. I mean, I have a woman in one of my groups who's in her seventies and she's, you know, coaching and went to Peru with us and always seeking, like, I want to try this journey and I want to do that. And what's this? And That's awesome. we call her our, our elder shaman because her level of curiosity at that stage in her life is so thrilling and exciting. And she's a reminder to me that, um, you just start, you just start and, and find your way into a community of people, yeah. uh, even at the easiest, simplest meetup gathering, because the ideas will start to seep in and, and your reality will start to shift and the possibilities of, what's, of what you could do start to shift almost immediately when you're in the presence of new ideas and other people who are already presently living them.
0: That's great advice. Jesse, if people want to find out more about you or um, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can go to my
1: website. It's jessegross.com. Okay. And that's just j-e-s-s-e-g-r-o-s.com. And then I have another website, which is breathworkhealings, plural, okay. uh, .com. Those are my two websites. And then I'm in some other places, but that's a great place to start.
0: Great. Well, we'll put some of those uh, links on the show notes for everybody. I really want to thank you for the time you spent with me today. This has been such an inspirational conversation. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Jesse's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure, because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Jesse, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. It was awesome. Thanks, Scott.